Hello and welcome to the Art Monthly Talk Show. Today I'm today I'm Chris McCormack and today I'm joined by uh, Richard Grayson, who's an artist and curator based in London, uh, Lauren Absigogarty, lecturer at UCL, and Alex Fletcher, who is completing a PhD at Kingston University. Uh, Alex Fletcher will be discussing the discussing the work of Ben Rivers, uh, which is current, which was actually just at the BBC Television Centre in London, uh, which was presented by and commissioned by Art Angel. Uh, Lauren Absigogarty will be discussing the exhibition at Reina Sofia uh, in Madrid, uh, not yet on the reinvention of documentary and the critique of modernism. And Richard Grayson, um, who will be discussing his current feature, at the which asks, uh, the what at the are we at the end of post internet art? Uh, which we'll start with you, Richard. Uh, which looks at the uh, m- mostly at the work of Ed Atkins and um, Ryan Tricarton. But first, I wanted to sort of open up, sort of by situating the the sense of what what it means to be at the end, and uh, and how we sort of got there. Really, how why are we at the end of uh, post internet? Well, um, in all honesty, I don't actually think we are at the end. Um, the article I wrote was sort of based or a response to uh, a previous uh, article by Morgan. And he was sort of saying that the, the intellectual engine, the philosophical sort of drive of post-internet art had sort of come to an end from the point of view of people making it. However, as I'd just sort of been staggering around different shows in different bits of Europe, I was witnessing an awful lot of exhibitions that were... Uh, packaging up, bringing together and representing this glorious new thing, post-internet art. So, in fact, I think both are true. Probably the uh, the reasons that may have made much of the stuff interesting, in as much as one can talk about it having a, a sort of a group of concerns, et cetera, et cetera, which I'm not certain is entirely true, it's probably puttering to an end. But we are going to be looking at an awful lot of this. I mean, this is the relational aesthetics of, our, of mm-hmm. this bit of the decade. And uh, there's going to be a lot of it around because it takes an awful lot of boxes. And what I was uh, attempting to do in this uh, sort of text was just unpack some of the boxes mm. that are ticked. And frankly, it's a bit spooky. Spooky in what sense? Well, it's just so perfect. Right, okay. I mean, it really is. I mean, if you were seeking to relaunch a brand of contemporary art and you were trying to um, choose some of the themes that has animated contemporary art before and also borrow an idea of an avant-garde, you've got this. It's fantastic. Um, there's a the, cynical sorry. tone that you're sort of bringing in here, I feel. Well, I'm not <laughs> cynical about the artists, to be honest. I, I mean, more power to them. And some yeah. of them are doing really interesting stuff. I am very cynical about the curators. Mm. I am very cynical about the market. And I'm extremely cynical about the collectors. Uh, yeah, and, but, you know, it's a sort yeah. of perfect package, as you know, because you've got the youth thing. Because it's all wrapped up not only within this sort of idea of the internet, which causes some sort of essential rupture in our understanding. But that also nicely coincides with 1989, which is roughly when Tim's, Tim Berners-Lee has his little sort of more rather major breakthrough. And you also have the fall of the command economies in Eastern Europe. Dum, dum, dum. So, you know, we have a nice little generational break. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting detail you actually raise in your feature, which is that that sort of the tipping over of history, which was that 89 cusp, you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, in some ways, it was seen as the sort of yeah, a change in sort of uh, yeah, society and culture, um, the Soviet bloc dismantled. Mm. Um, and that I suppose that was the birth of what then became the, the net native, which you go on to describe. But um, mm. But what I'm interested in more if we can start with the you talk about the ends and the sort of this break the, the sort of what that's giving us in, in a way that term um, and if it has any value of what you describe as a sort of pause and a way to kind of recon, recontextualize or rethink the notion of the internet that that tool uh, of the post. Uh, what I think we've got to be careful not to conflate sort of a whole bunch of things. I mean, some uh, so. Um, one of the things I don't want to conflate is artists who are doing interesting work about the internet with some of those artists who are now gathered together under this sort of brand of the post-internet. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's a phrase more or less without meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a phrase that's it's one of those brilliant phrases that's going to get less and less, going to have less and less meaning as time goes on. Uh, basically, we've got about 10 years before everything's post-internet. I mean, there'll mm. be hardly anybody left born before 1989, about 20 yeah. years' time. So you've, you've got an end point. Which also uh, Morgan sort of made the point, the sort of saturation of that sort of that, that term and that point is sort of we've become a saturate. That Internet is a saturated commodity, really. Well, it is a saturated commodity, but we've had a lot of work about saturation. I mean, what, what's lovely about this or interesting about this is how it allows a whole load of sort of previous themes to be relaunched. You mm-hmm. know, so you've got the entire sort of uh, the medium is the message sort of thing. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff uh, or rather a lot of the rhetorics around it trying desperately to make a gap between the artists yeah. and the way it's presented. Uh, a lot of the rhetorics around it are a nice rearticulation. Now, what I find interesting, particularly about, say, if we are going to look at any significance in 89 and the birth of the Internet, is it's also the moment, 89, with the collapse of those command economies, where the idea of a progressive art practice gets into trouble. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a progressive art practice throughout the entire 20th century, late 19th century, was always associated with the idea that there was somehow some agency, that, you know, it was part of a wider revolution. The revolution of the imagination would be part of a inevitable, or hopefully inevitable, social revolution. Mm-hmm. That was put into the real, for want of a better word, by the fact that you had places like Russia, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, which no matter how awful it was to actually live in them, sort of anchored these ideas and rhetorics in the possibility of the lived world. Come 89, that evaporates, and slowly the idea of the virtual arrives. So now what we have is this wonderful electronic theatre where it's a radical, it's breaking the old, it's reshaping reality, Mm -hmm. but bizarrely without actually any direct leverage Mm. uh, as far as one can yet see. I mean, obviously... These technologies, et cetera, do have a massive effect on this, that, and the other, but the space it opens up for rhetorical action is extraordinary. Now, this is, I think, true in, in a way, real life. Rather than going out and marching, I can actually go sign a petition. But it's also definitely true in the art life. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in certain senses. A lot of the work doesn't really dismantle the space around which it's trying to exist in. You know, I'd say it was pretty... You know, complicit with its own value system. Well, but I think more. I mean, I think what's interesting about it is that I mean, if you look at uh, writing and music, they've been totally affected mm-hmm. by. Oh, right, writers and musicians have been totally affected by the internet. I was talking to uh, an old uh, folk rock 
person a year or so ago, and he said that it's weird. All his records are now available for free. They can be downloaded. Where's his money coming from? So everybody has to go out and play live. Writers, the same thing. What this group of artists that have been gathered together is they've found a brilliant way to actually monetize the internet. The first, the first group of uh, creatives, perhaps, to uh, probably make that sort of transition. And I mean, I find very. There's a guy called Guthrie Lonergan who has been described as being the Bruce Nauman of at least the nasty net sort of movement, sort of uh, around rhizome, this, that, and the other, about sort of seven or eight years ago. <clears throat> and he has sort of disappeared because he said he was fascinated by this sort of how one might move this into the gallery, how one might make some money out of it, basically. Mm. Who, who can begrudge people making money? But he stopped because I think he, I, mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but one gets the feeling that this is like a tactical withdrawal. What's interesting about... Uh, many of these artists is how you've got a rhetoric on one side and then sort of real estate on another. So you say, for instance, I saw in, uh, oh, God Lord, Montreal or something, piece by Hito Sterl. Yeah. Lovely video, fantastic. But the amount of gallery space it took up was amazing because you had the gigantic screen, you had this great uh, wooden wave, which was meant to be sort of surfing. Mm-hmm. It was functioning like an art thing. Um, they all, a lot of this looks, looks like art. It's art-shaped. Uh, yeah. And the, a lot of the earlier sort of people working in this area, they were trying to do something outside of those things. So, I mean, I agree. It certainly it fits very much within a gallery system, certainly the work that's being produced, um, despite, I mean, perhaps its history um, yeah, is being undone to some extent um, by the current efforts of younger artists. You know, And you do mention... Uh, Ryan Tricotten, um, I guess, who seems to me one of the biggest exponents, partly because his work is, as you just say, is very part of the gallery system, um, in- incorporating very large video installation work with sculptural elements and components that are, you know, that you know sit very much within a, a familiar gallery mm. environment. Um, I mean, I, li- I quite like some of Ryan Tricotten's work, partly like because it's so well, sort yeah. of, it's sort of. I, feel the, I like the vernacular of it. I like the sort of the style of it, the um, the look of it, um, the hysteria of the, the central performance and antagonists. Um, but um, do you, do you find that? Do you think there is a lack of complexity in the way that it situates itself as a as an artwork um, in the gallery system? Is that what you're sort of driving at? I think it's what I am driving. I mean, but I again, I don't want to put the finger on the artists in a way. It's more, it's more the lack of the complexity of the way it's being rhetoricized and sort of positioned. Uh, this idea that it represents a sort of, you know, uh, an exemplar, uh, sort of an anthropology of new experience. Hmm. Um, and also, I think, you know, in some cases, there is almost a certain cynicism, not perhaps within the artist even or whatever, that you, you know, this thing of re-articulating, relaunching sort of old tropes. I mean, say, hmm. with the Trek art and thing, I think I say in the, uh, in the text, you know, you've got ghosts of... Uh, you know, sort of harmony, Kareen. You've got mm. sort of ghosts of sort of you know this. That, you know, it's mm. it's the feral, it's the feral youth. Yeah, there is a fetishization of yeah the yes. youth as a yeah, possibly having weird yeah. sex. And you talk oh. about that interesting. I think that interestingly, I liked what you said was uh, the the baby the baby boomers generation, uh, in effect, fetishizing that through the even though they're they're a broader demographic, uh, sitting on top in some respects, they're controlling the space beneath. Mm. And this this sort of space is what's being sort of you're, you're also opening up in your feature as well. Well, yeah, I mean that space beneath is being remarkably controlled, and in fact, mm-hmm. in an, um, in another way, uh, p- 
people using internet technologies, computer technologies, which is bound to happen, is also partially a product of that control. So if you're working in an art school or whatever, you're being asked to hot desk, you're not going to go out and sort of start hammering great bits of granite into something. You know, you're going to make something Mm. on that screen. You can show to somebody it's going to be made somewhere else. Dum-de-dum. It also is the uh, rhetorics of the, the internet. You know, we are used now to looking at things on a screen and then mysteriously they become concrete as Amazon knocks on our door. And we're used to the little weirdnesses of it. It's why buying Mm. glass frames online is nearly impossible, you know, because they never quite fit when they arrive, Mm. you know, da-da-da. We're used to all that. These people are, no, these people, this movement, this this brand, let's use that phrase, is, you know, playing with these. But I think... um, it's it's got an element of theatre that is um, very problematic. Mm. And when you say problematic, do you want to drive in? Do you want to get a little bit more into what you mean? Is that problematic because of the way it situates? Is it purely within a capitalist system, or is it because it doesn't fit, uh, sort of argue a kind of critical space? Or I think it's the lack of the arguing of a critical space. Uh, again, to go back to the sort of two thousand and seventy thing, there used to be a sort of division made, I don't know about how many people, between the idea of the sort of the hacker and the default. Mm-hmm. So like the hacker approach was to uh, go in and there and mess with the code one way or another. I'm, I'm oversimplifying this. And the other one was to in a way work with the default. So what you have with a lot of the stuff here that's being, uh, being sort of bracketed on this is the technology is that of the consumer slash prosumer. That's where the agent is mm-hmm. sort of, you know, it's sort of, okay, I'm taking this image, I'm using that sort of technology, you know, there's very little uh, which is like sort of uh, screwing up with the code. Now, obviously, one of the reasons for that is that's relatively arcane, it's quite often invisible, and you can't commoditize it. You know, there are all these loops of logic that mm-hmm. have, 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 have certain outcomes. And I suppose, you know, another problem for me is actually how boring some of the art is. It really is very, very dull. Mm. I mean, I agree with you in the sense that also, you know, that it's often wheeled out this notion that it distorts or sort of reimagines the sort of subject-object relations mm. and recasts them in a whole new way. And yet ultimately it seems to perform very much familiar, let's say, subject-object relations, you know, it just seems very fitted in. It seems very know. fitted. And, you know, a lot of it at least reminds me because of my, my age of, you know, bad French pop art from, right. you know, a certain time. Because in a way it has many of those sort of things that bad French pop art had that, um, you know, that slight distancing, you know, with with other forms of sort of pop, there was a feeling of actually, you know, an involvement with, with the, the, the French pop art or bad French pop art. There was the feeling that these the artist was somehow a spectator mm-hmm. on it um, as, much as, a, as much as a consumer. Um, but, I mean... Uh, the, the intention of writing the thing was really just to try and sort of unpack some of the things that that, that may be at play. I, I have no intention of sort of damning uh, sort of many of the artists because it's you know obviously one of the most interesting areas that you can be making work about, but it is going to produce some incredibly tedious shows. Yeah. When you say tedious, though, do you mean in a way that it's just formulaic and consistent? Is that how? Is yeah, that, you yeah mean, I mean, yeah. already, I mean, I've already had this thing of walking into different space. I mean, okay, I've been doing a bit of travelling recently, but constantly running into sort of scattery art by uh, Katya Novitskova. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that repetition lends en- enchantment to to the view. And already you can see, in a way, the inflation happening. I saw mm-hmm. a John Rathman um, 
piece in, in Lyon a couple of days. And I know, as much as I know, the Reffman work, it's sort of from the sort of Google Street yeah. things. And now all of a sudden you've got this vast glass cube with hundreds of scores of different speakers coming down. So, and you know, you, so you, you have the video thing, but you now have this sort of Hearst-esque box. You know, it's it's playing the game. Yeah, which I, I wonder, you know, looking at it at a broader level, you know, is that new, you know, the power of the gallery to, to drive the for, you know, to drive a commercial aspect to to an artist practice um, and maximise, let's say, the, the book, you know, the bang for the book on whatever they can. Um, I, I think it's new when it comes to something that in many ways is articulated somehow by the idea of being critical or oppositional. Mm. Obviously, it's not new in the sense of, you know, you always had people doing vast, shiny things. But, you know, those people, you know, the, <laughs> those people who at one point didn't want to sell out of mm-hmm. inverted commas, you know, there was always a slight hesitation. Now, obviously, our post-89, perhaps all that hesitation goes because, mm. you know, it's the only only game in town. Uh, you know, there's no point in... Uh, I mean, there but isn't a are there any artist amongst this, the, the younger artists that, let's say, generating this kind of work, is there any that you do find... Uh, the sort of expo- exponent of uh, more critical engagement, or well, yeah. I mean, I I think it's I think within the practices, it's probably true for 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 most of them. You know, I refuse yeah. to believe that they're going out being cynical. Uh, you know, because it's a strange thing to actually do. Um, but perhaps now the cynicism might come in as the sort of um, uh, you know the. Um, the sort of success happened. I mean, say somebody like Simon Denny is sort of an interesting yeah. case in point. You know, that starts off seemingly, you know, uh, as, as an, an interesting possibly critique, but, you know, certainly bringing something new to, you know, it's like an anthropology of of digital culture as much mm. as uh, the use of it or him as a consumer. He's looking at the way that um, the players in this, people at conferences in this sort of, you know, Express and relate, and that's sort of sort of interesting. Um, whether it can resist the sort of interesting logical loop that's going to be built into this, where you know the people who he is sort of uh, he could become a court painter, mm. you know, uh, because the people who he's sort of looking at are also going to be part of the people who are funding the galleries, who are giving money to the museums, mm. to this, that, and the other. Yeah, I mean it's a very tight loop. I mean, you talk about. Um, I think we should briefly talk about the uh, that, the group set up by uh, what's it called? Plus, plus eighty nine plus, set up by Hans Ulrich Obrist and uh, Simon Castets, mm. um, which you know specifically looks at this particular moment as mm. well. Um, and they're sort of a, as you describe it, a multi platform research project. Can you just briefly talk about? I mean, I think in terms of what I feel about cynical aspects of uh, capitalizing on a movement i would say perhaps that seems a good example but uh, i mean i don't know enough about the project well to be honest i don't know enough about the project yeah. either but it just struck it leapt out uh, reading reading the because uh, i'd come across it and uh, it had always struck me as a strange sort of um, not a strange you can see why it's happening you know we need ruptures we need something new uh, Especially, you know, once institutions get as close to the establishment as the Serpentine, they, they, they need a theatre of rupture, they need a theatre mm. of difference. You know, edge. Mm. Um, so, nice generation thing, you know, let's, let's, let's get the funky youth in who we don't quite understand and give them a platform. 
Um, it's pretty grim. Uh, and then what I was particularly entertained about, and I don't have the text in front of me, is the, when, when they thank the, uh, the yeah. people who've helped make this happen. So it's very, very sort of Agnes B and sort of thing, things like that. So, you know, we can see where this is going. Mm. Yeah, it, it, I know what you sort of said. It's sort of slotting in very neatly across various other cultural platforms, let's say, to use an example, yeah, or a word or a term. You know, and, it, and it's got the funny sort of echo of the, you know, that fashion for the the dazed 16-year-old, uh, is she or he on smack look that was sort of mm-hmm. big, you know, a while ago. And, that, and uh, the sort of... Pete Doherty trousers, thin trousers, chic of ten years ago. Da 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 da. You know, okay. it, it, it's it's got a history. I mean, it's it's nothing new. It's just a little egregious. Okay. Well, we may come back to the uh, <laughs> the uh, Prada hipsters, but for now, we'll draw a close to that and start talking to Lan, uh, who. I believe how long how many months ago were you in Madrid? I think it may have been several months ago by now. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago. Okay. Uh when was it? I think May. Okay, so we are taking you back a little bit in time. Yeah. Uh but you went to see an exhibition uh which is a two part exhibition, this being the second part, um, organized by Rebolta, Jorge Rebolta. Yeah. And uh this is called it was called Not Yet, uh, the reinvention of documentary. Um now, um this show brings together a kind of look at documentary from, I say, the last 100 years, maybe 100, well, at least 70, 80 years, isn't that right? From the 1930s onwards. Um, the first part, which was the the workers' photography show, which I think the date for that one was, hang on a second, um, that it was called A Hard Merciless Night Light, uh, the workers' photography movement, and that was focusing on work from between 1926 and 39. And I think that was 2012, if I remember correctly. And so that show was focused on things like um, the German popular press around the 20s and 30s, um, the sort of working class press around that time. Uh, People like John Hartfield would be some of the sort of more well-known figures um, within that that grouping. Um, It also looked at work from the U.S., and all over Europe, really. So it was looking at um, the the relationship between documentary and sort of proletarian culture or working class culture in the twenties and thirties, um, and thinking about the the relationship between that form of documentary and a kind of dominant liberal humanist type mm-hmm. of documentary, which we might associate. You know, we probably would continue to associate with. Um, yeah, a more kind of normative ideas of social relations and so on. And so the show that I wrote about, um, the show Not Yet on the Reinvention of Documentary and the Critique of Modernism, follows on from the workers' photography show and is focused on work from around the 1960s and 70s. Um, and quite a lot of the work that's included within the show had a self-conscious relationship to um, practices from Mm -hmm. the 1930s. So, for example, Terry Dennett and Joe Spencer's work from uh, the, I think, the late... Late 60s, 70s. Yeah, late late 70s um, was... No, sorry, 1974. So the project with the photography workshop was the 30s and today. So it was basically juxtaposing images from 
kind of um, social issues around the 1930s with the present. So things like um, fascism in the 30s, fascism in the 70s and so on and so forth. So they're, they're, the show kind of examines this relationship between these two periods as both um, periods in which there's obviously huge kind of social crisis around um, housing, around um, kind of class struggle and obviously expanding from the the kind of subjects that you you'd feel more familiar with in the 30s there's more of a um engagement with kind of questions around race in in this show in the in the latter in, period, in the yeah. latter show yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you didn't see the 1930s show. Which I didn't I think, see that, but I feel like it's yeah. I'm very familiar with it from discussions. We've looked and at also catalogs. distribution models as well. I think and uh, like how images would have been circulated or distributed at that time. Because I guess, I mean, that's also quite pivotal from the 1930s to the 60s. Would mm. be how images were distributed as well, and the notion of the camera and how availabilities of camera and so on also increased between yeah. those two cycles. You know, the two histories or those two arcs. Let's say. Um, but in the 60s themselves, because you talk about both the the things that are included. So let's talk about what is included and then we can talk about perhaps some of the things that you felt weren't part of or could have been part of the show's discussion. Which So mm. you talk a little bit about uh, yeah Joe Spence, but also uh, Martha Rosler, Alan Sekular yeah. and so on. Do you want to talk a little bit about what works of theirs were included? And then- sure. So um, probably the most well-known artists, at least from my perspective, but probably more generally, I would think, as, you know, in terms of this question of documentary and how documentary transforms in the 1960s and 70s was the work um, by what's usually described the San Diego group, um, which is Alan Secula, Martha Rosler, Fred Lanidia and Fel Steinmetz. So um, the Fred Lanidia, the health and safety game is in the show, which is a big um kind of photo series mixing uh, as is a lot of the work in the show mixing kind of quite deadpan um images with with text so definitely with this sort of more of a pedagogical function than you might think you might associate with a with a classic um form of documentary and one of the works by Lenidia in the show was called the health and safety game fictions based on fact which is 1975 and was remade um for the show uh, oh, right. And that was, this this work interested me partly because yeah, I think it's it's kind of it was a really interesting. I found it a really like surprisingly interesting work visually because um, I'd read about it before and the the work is Lanidia engaging with various uh, workplace injuries. So yeah. you have these really kind of stark images of like an oil worker's burns, an egg packer's arm. So these injuries that would be sustained within the workplace. Um, that, you know, in a sense are presented um, as something that is, is more commonplace than not. So, like, even just the text, the description of something like an egg packer's arm mm-hmm. is like, it's almost like it's every egg packer. So this relationship between the whoever's arm it is in the image and the idea of that as a trade is, is kind of very present. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, so that was that was quite. Uh, I found that work really interesting to see. Yeah, also, I thought about the way in which we even think about health and safety today, which often oh, is yeah. a maligned completely. Yeah, thing. I or, mean that's the fascinating thing I think about a lot of this work from the seventies is, I think you also get that in. Um, I mean, in in the there's a work by Lorraine Leeson and uh, Peter Dunn that was in there, which was around Tower Hamlets. Um, 
like Tower Hamlets and health issues in Tower Hamlets. So, you know, so, so the subject matter in, on one level seems incredibly mundane and very sort of like dry and policy heavy and almost, yeah, this this idea of the health and safety game. Yeah. It's not something that sounds particularly like radical or sexy in the present day. It sounds like the most dull end of like, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, like it, it's, but, but I think in that there's something really interesting because if Fred Lanidia in 1975 can make a work that is the health and safety game, which is actually, a, you know, a completely radical critique of the forms of labor that he's trying to document mm. and then you you receive that in the present and think oh uh like why does he like health and safety this is a bit dry but all mm. that makes you really think about is or, or how i sort of came to thinking about that was it's so peculiar that the one bit or, or the bit that we're left of of a kind of um labor movement in some way that feels commonplace within our imagination is health and safety which is literally like the bit of it that keeps people alive yeah. like that's the bit that we're left with um so yeah that was one work that i was really fascinated i found really interesting to see um martha rose's work they've reconstructed uh, her project from 1989 to sort of 1989 to 1990 which is called if you lived here which um I think, you know, may be familiar to people. Yeah, it's quite a broad piece, isn't it? It's, you know, it took a number of years for her to make that work. Um, yeah. It, it, or restaged. Elements. It's been yeah. restaged yeah. A, a number of times. It was restaged quite recently at Tate Liverpool, or a portion of it was. And that, that project basically engages with uh, questions mm. around housing and, uh, you know, urban space. And that was really one of the key themes within the show overall. So there was also a, a project by John, Jean-Louis Bertuccelli called uh, a, f- a film called The Right to the City. Um, there was also a lot of work, docu- photography of the provos in Amsterdam who'd occupied a, a big part of the city. Um, you know, th- this this question of housing seemed to be one of the really um like vital themes within the show which had an interesting relation or has a very interesting relationship to um some of the current political situation yeah. in Spain I think oh and do you think it was specifically cited in a Spanish context in that because I'm interested in that as well or was it looking at a broader European trajectory as well or how was actually the the argument framed in the show it, it wasn't particularly I mean I I didn't receive it emerged in a much more subtle way than being okay. kind of like this show, you know, the the real theme of it yeah. is housing. And it may be that that feels just like one of the most, you know, coming from London, that yeah. feels like an incredibly urgent question for the present. And mm. then being in the city or, or being in Spain in general, it, it feels like a really urgent problem because of... Um, the way in which the Spanish housing market, you know, has had this unbelievable crisis, and the and also in terms of like um, the recently elected mayor in Barcelona, Ada Colau, is came out of this movement, uh, like housing struggle movement. So it just for me, it felt very present, and a lot of the people I was, I visited the show with a bunch of other people, and we all sort of were really like felt. That was a really strong um, and very live element within the show, I guess. Um, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't so much like presented in a particularly didactic oh, right. fashion. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mean, within it seems to me incredibly. It sounds like a great show. I mean, I have mm. to say, um, 
um, you felt there was one or two elements that could have been sort of further developed. Uh, I think you talked mm. a little bit about a feminist trajectory, mm. partly through Joe Spence um, and some of, her, some of the other works. Um, you also mentioned um, the South African group Afropix and Susan Mizellis' work, Nicaragua. Mm. Um, is there, I mean, were they substantial gaps for you or did they feel just sort of like pockets of things that could have been I think brought they, in? I think, I mean, the thing that was wonderful about the show was, was seeing things like, um, the, the, I think the room that was centred on Italy was was probably mm-hmm. the room I found most interesting. There was lots of copies of um, work, various workerist publications like Poteri Operaio and Lotta Continua. And, and it really, the thing that was fascinating about it for me was there was this sort of peculiar, or not, not peculiar, but... You know, you think of you think of those struggles as um, well. You don't. I don't know. I hadn't thought of them as having a particularly strong relationship to a ca- like countercultural formations. And actually, a lot of the imagery seemed like it could be sort of from West Coast hippie type mm-hmm. publications. So that was really surprising. Um, also, the connections that were made between things like the Italian Red Brigade. So you'd just see like the Ita- I don't remember how it said in Italian, but you'd. I don't read Italian, so yeah. maybe these connections were made even more tantalising. So just see something like the Weather Underground and the Red Brigades, and it was like, oh, I wonder what what was yeah. going on there. Um, but yeah, in terms of this gap, I think beyond a sort of American and European context, um, I think it was limited, as far as I remember, to the Afropix, the room of Afropix, yeah. um, Af- uh, Afropix photographers from South Africa, and then this Susan Mazelis work, which probably, I don't know, I mean, I'm no expert on Latin American or South African yeah. documentary practices, but those are two of the the... the, the, the the groupings or, or the works that I feel much more familiar with. So it would have been exciting to see more work from uh, different, you know, different sort of parts of the world. Um, but my own ignorance means I couldn't really say what that would be. Um, in terms of what I did feel was really kind of surprising in, in its absence was there was n- really there was no work that had any relationship to feminist documentary practices mm. um i mean the work of joe spence that was included was the was not her work that was dealing with questions like um uh childcare or or, yeah. or you know uh, domestic work and so on and and i mean they do have um one of those works in the permanent collection of the Reina Sophia. So, you know, it's 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 not like this institution is um, lacking blind or it. blind yeah. to yeah. it. Um, but, you know, it would have been wonderful to see. Uh, I see some of the work by, like, um, the Women and Work Collective or I, I even was reminded while I was there of the, the exhibition Cherche La Femme that they had oh, at yeah, Space, meant, yeah. which was I thought was such yeah. a brilliant show and that presented a lot of work I wasn't familiar with mm-hmm. by Delphine Sarig and Cara Rosopoulos. And so to have some of that work in there. And similarly, you know, this lack of engagement with gender also, for me, was related to a total lack of engagement with things around sexual politics. So there's no kind of work related to queer activism mm-hmm. or queer documentary practices. So that, to me, felt like a pretty like yeah, noticeable yeah. absence because it's not like that work isn't there. Yeah. Because they do pick on, they do show race elements, don't they? With uh, the Panthers, yeah. but you know, with I Agnes mean, Varda's film, but it, yeah, but it's it's Varda's film of yeah. the Panthers, yeah. and uh, I mean, I, I think that, that that again that I suppose it's 
it's also thinking it was such a huge show it feels sort of mean to to be picking out the bits mm. that weren't there but it's it's almost when something is that comprehensive do you sort of notice the absences even more of course, yeah. um and also i think in relation to for me the interesting thing of thinking about this show in relation to the earlier show which focused on the 30s the 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 show from um the workers photography show you know was really centered around um class struggle um labor history or or histories of of like labor and the the primary kind of subject within that or at least within a like yeah the the general sort of subject we associate with that is a white male industrial worker and um that that of course is far more complex in the 30s mm. um and so i think it would have been wonderful to to have some way in which to like think about to have a more um complex way or more yeah. visible way to think through the the not only the inheritance of those struggles of the 30s and the images of the 30s but also the disintegration of being able to identify a kind of singular subject with um radical kind of forms of political struggle um yeah mm. you know I, I yeah that's wonderful um i just wanted to add that uh, for people interested in reading about the previous exhibition stephanie schwartz covered that in our issue uh 347 so um just flagging that up there at the end Lana. i hope you don't mind um but, uh, maybe <laughs> come back to you but uh let's move on and uh, talking about a different kind of uh well viewing experience but also picks up some of the sort of ethnographic uh elements and documentary af- uh, um sort of aspects of uh, the, what Lon was discussing. Um, uh, ben Rivers' show, which is uh, just finished at what was at BBC Television Centre in London. Um, I mean, it's, it, was an, it was an ambitious installation in many respects, and uh, it took up, as I remember, um, the former stage or studio spaces of uh, the back areas of... I mean, in, it was in a vast area of the BBC. Um and Ben Rivers had sort of installed various sort of constructions and sort of um, bricolage to kind of build these sets and then project new, uh, maybe six or seven, f- maybe five films, four or five films. Four or five, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyhow, uh, le- which are, is going to be turned into one uh, single, single screen, screen presentation. One, yeah. uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about the film itself and um, Ben Rivers' work in that and what he sh- he showed. Okay, so the film the film that's going to become the single screen uh, film, which has a longer title than the actual show, which is, I think, The Sky Trembles and the Earth is Afraid and the Two Eyes Are Not Brothers. Um, I think that's going to be showing uh, during the Experimenter BFI uh, film screenings. The show itself was just called The Two Eyes Are Not Brothers. And this, this phrase comes from, uh, who we can talk about, uh, the writer uh, Paul Bowles, uh, and he heard it in uh, Tangier. And the film that Rivers is making is based on a short story by Paul Bowles, um, and the story is called A Distant Episode. And what you get in the installation version at White City, uh, kind of traversing this, uh, it's the old, they call it the old drama block, and you have kind of different, the rooms are titled by different things like the prop store the paint frame room, the setting space. What you have is uh, elements, you have elements of clips from this work in progress being shown alongside uh, uh, kind of these making of 
documents of uh, friends of his filming in Morocco who are uh, filmmaker Oliver Lacks and uh, artist filmmaker Shazza Darwood. And so there's a kind of split between uh, the contents involved, which but you get kind of weird uh, connections, such as the actor in the Oliver Lacks film that he's filming also appears in the first room that you walk into, which is a kind of six, eight millimeter film of the uh, famous Moroccan artist and storyteller Mohamed Rabbit, and uh, the actor kind of sits down and listens to Rabbit uh, mm. tell tell stories. And that's the first room you walk into, which is why I start start with the idea of oral narrative and storytelling uh, as as the way into this show, and to think about what what it means for Rivers at least to tell a story, especially especially uh, non verbally. Yeah, because a great deal of the film or the series of these films that he's placed together or put together are very long takes. Um, that inherently raise the problem of fetishizing the material that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, they're incredibly. I mean, you know, you fall into them because they're so saturated and well rendered, and you know, they're sort of grainy black and white images of a, a goat or a donkey, you know, traversing a sort of hill uh, or you know, river, um, and it's sort of slow. It's a very slow look um, and a very slow gaze. Let's say. Um, at looking at these images that allow you to kind of really absorb what we're looking at. Um, and then in, in amongst that, yeah, you have these quite disor- disorientating, or let's say purposefully aware moments where you see the clapperboard that sort of sort of supposed to jolt you back into the realisation that mm-hmm. I guess you're seeing a film. But how did you, what did you feel about seeing these sort of things being brought in together with, with his work? Um, well, I'm, I wasn't actually that aware of Ben Rivers's work before, and so in order to kind of become aware, I asked mm. to to write the review, and then I kind of uh, watched a few of his uh, most uh, famous films, such as Two Years at Sea, which is a very kind of you know uh, sixty millimeter film, hand processed, very uh, fascistic kind of feel to it, and um, and other films such as. Uh, Spell Toward of Darkness, which was made with uh, Ben Russell. Um, but in, I thought it was... Uh, me, myself, I'm not... Uh, even though I worked at uh, Nowhere, which is a film lab, for, yeah. for a while, myself, I'm not a fetishist of film at all. And you do get a mix. The, f- the, the two, I think at least one of the films is digital. So you go from the kind of 8mm, or I'm not sure what it was, of Rabbit, where, you, where if, you, if you, you're kind of in this dark space you have to press the button to make the project start mm. and so you've got all these kinds of mechanics and I think another film uh, uh, you walk past it's kind of it's done by a, a sensor it turns on as you as you walk past it uh, I found it quite very seductive yeah which I think that's what I was sort of trying to get yeah. towards it sort of drive towards it you know is that does it render a sort of problem whereby we are fetishizing mm-hmm. and is it I, for me I did come away with the question mark is is it enough to mm. posit this place of where referencing the filmmake the filmmaking mm. moment yeah. is that enough to render it a kind of palpable sense that we're seeing these images mm-hmm. in a different way that makes them less about uh you know just pointing a camera and sort of taking something um and you know that being the western ethnographic mm-hmm. gaze and you know and that sort of has its precedence through so Chris Marker and mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned Jean Rauch as well. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the sort of ethnographic 
Mm, actually, before that, it's quite important Sorry. to mention, uh, because of this kind of distancing and the self-referencing re- mm-hmm. of the filmmaking process, is um, an influence on the two films he makes of Oliver Lax's film and Shazza Darwood's film is inspired by a Catalan filmmaker called Pierre Portobello, who I hadn't heard of before, and it made me go back and watch his films. And he's famous for making a film called Kudagek, it's a Catalan word, vampire. And he uh, uses uh, very high contrast black and white footage, and Ben Rivers uh, quotes the soundtrack, not only in the space where you're walking, you kind of walk between two of the spaces and and this soundtrack's playing, but also in the films themselves. But what what's interesting in in relation to your uh, question about the fetish is Pierre Portobello is, and it's interesting in relation to uh, Spain and uh, mm-hmm. Frank because it's in the period of Franco, the dictator of Franco, and Pierre Portobello's uh, using uh, the the vampire film, who's and the who who's, which is directed by uh, Jesus Franco, and it stars. Um, uh, it's just gone out of my head. Uh, um, but but there's but there's a there's a politics to the to the revealing of the apparatus yeah. because the, the vampire the vampire is a powerful image and culture it's it's completely kind of tied to the politics involved and it, of course it was banned in Spain and and all of these things whereas like I, th- I guess we're about to move on to it like uh, these questions of ethnography representation representing the other there's there seems to be. Uh, a fetishization in the sense that he kind of he 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 finds fascinating these styles mm. and yet seems to allow them to kind of empty themselves out of the histories that that these styles have been born out of or oh that's more interesting i think it's something <laughs> more nuanced and I, I i was also before i came out i was sort of thinking about the viewfinder and the slip or the move between I was thinking about particularly in Richard Grayson the sort of the post-internet digital practice which is all about the screen and the surface and that being the the, the direction of the camera being a much more sort of distance or disembodied and these kind of practices which are very much about an ethics of looking a little bit more because you are standing and framing and viewing. Mm. I think Gene Rout talks about that sort of space of looking into the frame and and that having a carrying a kind of different uh, process of looking. Um, did you feel Ben Rivers was sort of again in a more nuanced way, sort of dealing with that sort of that history of that look as well? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I uh, the I also went to I mentioned in the article I went to a conversation that he had with Shazza Darwood, and they were talking about which I'd never heard of again this eth- sensory ethnography film lab, mm-hmm. which is in America, and they they both of them, especially Rivers, seem to be they associated themselves with them in the sense that these are people actually working in anthropology that use visual media and are invested in visual media in the sense of furthering the discipline of anthropology, yet they distance, he seemed to distance himself and he, in some way that he wanted to kind of re- retain some mm-hmm. uh, aesthetic autonomy. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not an expert on the history of uh, cinema verite and John Ruchin, but this, this I, I think he felt like even though he realized the kind of sensory aspects and the aesthetic aspects of documentary i think he still felt like he was kind of contributing to a to, to a kind of knowledge or a, or the production of a kind of knowledge or whereas there's a kind of construction in rivers that he's very self-conscious of and he kind of seems 
satisfied to remain at that that kind of playful engagement with all of these materials and yeah i'm not sure how to think about it yet no <laughs> it's interesting I, but we, let's, let's return a little bit back to um the way in which the installation was cited which um in this yeah this bbc tv s- studio space um and i think as I remember rightly, at one point, there's a, is there a sound piece? You go upstairs mm-hmm. um, and is, you're in this incredible where they would have painted the sets and you're seeing these sort of dripped walls uh, cascading down with the sound work. Um, I mean, it's hard to sort of escape when you're looking at it, the history of the BBC and the current... Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, the sort of, well, I suppose... Uh, we had a, I had a conversation with someone about Jimmy Savile. No, so did I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the sort of the stain and the the tain of that within this ha- this this once you know hallowed building, mm-hmm. um, and now it's being demolished and turned into uh, uh, luxury ap- apartments and so on. Mm. Um, but I mean, in a way, it, it did. There did seem a dis- you talk about that. This sort of the way in which there doesn't feel to be uh, a complete pair or complete match between the two, um, the, the the sort of work in the site. Yeah, I'm not sure how what whether this was uh, Ben Rivers or Art Angel's mm. decision. And and going on the history of Art Angel's penchant for soon to be demolished yeah. uh, buildings, I'm assuming it's Art Angel's <laughs> decision. But, but, uh, so if I was if I was to be kind, I would probably say that he Ben Rivers mm. did did quite well with, with the space with his use of the space. What what he what he managed to do because of this idea of scenery and construction was he brought in not the not, not only were the films kind of shown in these uh uh recycled uh, old sets kind of couple he in the, when he talked at the BFI he kind of talked about them in the kind of stage of construction and deconstruction which I, which is which is pretty legitimate um but also within the film itself uh the two eyes are not brothers um so he, the the character is often uh, being dragged around abandoned film sets in morocco which of course is used uh uh by you know from artists to hollywood uh you know mainstream films from gladiator to yeah. star wars and and so there was that there, it wasn't completely empty that gesture of the mm. the films being shown in that space yeah, and there was also the uh, remnants of some of the uh, some of the what we can see in the film. This the, one of the uh, protagonists is sort of dressed in film cans, mm-hmm. and that sort of suit is left hanging in one of the sort of cage spaces. Um, can you talk? Because that for me was a very mysterious element. This bringing in of this sort of uh, this character that yeah, in these reflected suits, and he sort of stood in this very sort of well, an unusual way. Do you want to talk a little bit about him, perhaps? <laughs> I'm, I don't know much yeah. about it other than it's a character taken from the Paul Bowles novel and in the Paul Bowles novel it's a character ca- uh, covered in metal and I mention it in the article that when you walk towards it it's kind of hung in this cage, very creepy which is probably when I was tell- you know, making a joke about Jimmy Savile yeah. to someone which I didn't dare make in the review uh, but walking up to the cage I, I mistook them as uh, film can lids but they were just uh, kind of Tin, tin metal circles. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, but they looked like the size. They did look of, like the uh, film can. Yeah. And of course, what he does in, is uh, what he does with Paul Bowles's short story is he changes the professor, uh, a kind of linguistics professor who visits 
a kind of fictionalized uh, Moroccan-like town. He changes that uh, to a filmmaker, and if, I, if again coming back to this ethnographic gaze, whether it's enough because of of course in the Paul Bell story, and the, I, I guess what will happen in the film is the the filmmaker or the professor in the book is uh, kidnapped, covered in this costume, and kind of mm. dragged around and and eventually has his tongue cut out and uh and but what's what happens in the book is that the the narrative shifts at that point from the perspective of the professor to the perspective of the the other or the mm-hmm. but it's whether those reversals are, are seem to be enough or whether you're just repeating those those kind of structures of othering or mm. I, I'm kind of still unsure Sure but which about. doesn't necessarily, yeah, means there's a, it means it's an unresolved element mm. within the way in which perhaps they're still being played out. I think at a broader level. But um, did you did anyone else see the Ben Rivers show here? Oh, you probably were away. Um, but um, any other thoughts on ethnography or the look of the gaze and how that's manifest itself? I mean, Lon, in your show, I'm sure uh, you must have come across maybe maybe not. I mean, certainly in Agnes Varda's film, perhaps. Mm. I think. That, I mean, that's one of the. I think it's, it's, uh, that's something that maybe is interesting to think about, but the difference between this exhibition and the earlier show is that there's something more immediately seductive about the kinds of images that you have, or they're, they're more familiar as seductive images, um, whether it's, you know, the Panthers, like, kind of wearing leather jackets and looking super cool, yeah. or whether it's, um, like... People throw Molotov cocktails on the street in Bologna in nineteen late sixties, early seventies. Mm. Like these are images that feel very much within, like a vocabulary or a repertoire of images of radicalism that, um, yeah, have a kind of sexiness to them in in a way that uh, I suppose an image of somebody in overalls like making their way home from a job in a factory it's maybe I don't know if it ever had that kind of charge but it only really has that sort of charge for maybe a very f- small number of people <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's first the vernacular of cool yeah and the styling of cool was a much later yeah gesture. so yeah. I think that's that's an interesting thing um I think also this question of like ethnography and you know the other is obviously one that runs right through mm. any discussion of documentary and and especially when you have you know, photographers making images of subjects that are, are you know very different from themselves so some of the work in there there was a series of photographs that were part of a shelter campaign yeah. that for me felt a little bit too close to the kinds of advertising we associate with charities now that we may have like issues with so yeah that's all, right. all I, I has anyone else got anything quickly to add we're running yeah, towards our end of our program quickly that I mean one of the things I think which, which is happening with this post-internet thing <clears throat> is that uh, part of the art world is looking at a digital tribe mm. you know there is this sort of positioning of all this work as somehow or another uh, which is I think one of the interesting and slightly problematic things about it. Mm, certainly. Well, 
it leaves me just to say a great thank you to everybody that's come here this evening. Lana Abzagogati, Richard Grayson and Alex Fletcher. I'm Chris McCormack and all these issues that have been talked about this evening are available in this month's issue of Art Monthly. That's the uh, September issue of Art Monthly. Many thanks for listening. Good night. <laughs>